Good morning, Faith Family. It's good to see all of you here this morning. So glad that you're here worshiping uh, with us today. Uh, grateful for our praise team. Uh, thank God for them. I also wanted to let you know that today is Miss Jess's 40th birthday. So happy birthday to her. Yes. Awesome. And the reason I, I make a special point to let you know today's her 40th birthday is because she did not want anyone to talk about today being her 40th birthday, but it's all in love. So happy birthday to Miss Miss Jess. Uh, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, start finding your place there. Uh, we'll look at it in just a few moments. We're going to talk about the difference of uh, between guilt and grace, uh, between Adam that we see in Genesis, uh, the, the first Adam, and then we're going to see Jesus, who is known as the second or the last Adam or the greater Adam. Uh, we'll unpack that in just a little bit. Before we dive in, I do want to make you uh, just aware that we, we had two losses in our, our, our church family this week. Uh, first, Michael, Michael Brooks, just a young man who given his heart and his life to Jesus, but was, uh, was lost suddenly this week, passed suddenly uh, this week. So we want to pray for the Brooks family. I want to pray for Miss Tamika. I want to pray for uh, Brother Mike, uh, Mike's dad, and we want to pray for Makai. Uh, Mike's brother. So we want to want to lift them up um, today. We also want to pray for the Cook family. Uh, as Nolan Cook, uh, also a follower of, of Christ and uh, just a longtime member of of this faith family here. As a matter of fact, uh, roughly a year or so ago, we or not quite a year ago, we celebrated his 100th birthday here, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but he went on to be with the Lord yesterday as well. So I want to pray for the Cook family, Miss Evelyn, and uh, the rest of the family. So if you'll bow with me as we begin uh, today just by praying for the Brooks family and the Cook family. Father, we do thank you uh, for your grace and your kindness and your mercy that is shown to us. God, I think about uh, these losses that were experienced this week in the Brooks family and in the Cook family. And God, we just ask for a special measure of your grace. God, just ask that your presence will be felt uh, in a manner that only you can make that happen. Um, God, bring comfort, uh, even though we are grateful for the hope that we have in you, and we rejoice uh, greatly in that. I know there's a lot of uh, pain that's left on this side of heaven, and so just ask that you'll walk with these families through that. And the countless others that are perhaps even here now that have gone through something very similar this week, and you know, we just not... I know collectively exactly what that is, but they, uh, they know and you know. God, I pray you'll be with them and you will encourage them and help them to experience your good presence in the midst of, of, of their pain as, as well. Uh, God, we thank you for the hope once again that is found in you. And I pray as we open your word and continue to talk about some of that hope today, and God, that you will just awaken our hearts to how glorious you truly are. And um, God, give us a, a spirit of thanksgiving and knowing that we can have salvation uh, eternal in you. We pray this in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. All right. Bienvenido a mi familia española. Abran sus Biblias en el libro de Romanos, capítulo 5. Uh, por favor. So grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to uh, continue in our studies. We started chapter 5 last week and we covered the first 11 verses, which was a lot of, a lot of fun. And now we're going to jump into verse 12 and uh, walk through verse 21. Once again, talking about Adam, uh, the, the guilt that is seen in Genesis whenever uh, sin is first committed and that is, that is imputed unto us and to all of humankind. And then the grace that is found in Jesus and how his righteousness can be imputed uh, to us. 
Well, we see a few parallels between Adam and Jesus throughout the word. First of all, Adam is the first man. Uh, we also see Jesus as being the first God-man, Jesus incarnate, uh, fully God, fully human. Both entered the world sinless, but we know that Adam sinned, whereas Jesus triumphed over sin. Adam represents my earthly nature. Uh, Adam represents your earthly nature. Uh, and Jesus represents... Our, our spiritual nature as he imparts his spiritual nature into those who place their faith and their trust in him. Uh, we know scripturally speaking, we are by nature dead in sin, uh, but if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we are made alive in Christ. So in order to properly frame our minds around this particular section of Romans 5, we're going to do a couple of catechisms together. We have three of them today, and I think it's going to help us deeply just to understand what this text is truly about. So we'll have the question on the screen, and then we'll answer uh, that question together. So here we go. Here's the first question. It's this. <clears throat> Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? Here's the answer. We're going to say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Three, our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. Excellent job. Next question, here's the second one. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first sin? Answer, all mankind descending from Adam by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first sin. Great job. Here's our last one for uh, today. Question, did God leave all mankind to perish in the condition of sin and misery? Answer, together, God, out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity, having chosen a people to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the condition of sin and misery and to bring them into a condition of salvation by a redeemer. Awesome job. So really the analogy of Adam and Christ is antithetical in nature. It's an analogy of opposites. Here's how you see Adam uh, sinning and because of his sin, that sin is imputed to us. And so all mankind has sinned because we have been imputed that very nature, the nature of Adam. So here's the opposite. In Christ, we see his obedience. Christ's obedience is simply this. God so loved the world that he sends one only his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, he being Jesus, that knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So all who place their faith and their trust in Jesus can be pardoned. So in Adam, all have sinned and are condemned. But in Christ, because of Christ's obedience, all who place their faith in him they can be pardoned. So all condemned, many are pardoned. Here's how 1 Corinthians 15, 22 puts it. It says this, For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And that all represents all who place their faith and trust in Christ alone. Now here's a statement, kind of a key statement for today's sermon and then it's going to follow with a, a key question so here you go this is kind of what hinges uh, our entire sermon hinges upon here's the here's the statement everyone is either in adam or in christ those are the only two options we're either in adam or we're in christ now here's the question where are you uh, are you in adam meaning you're still walking in that condemnation of sin or 
Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? And are you in Christ? You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. So as we look at our text, we see that it begins with this conjunctive adverb, therefore. The therefore is therefore for a reason. Uh, The therefore is there to show that everything preceding this is accurate, true, and right. And so everything you're about to read is also accurate, true, and right. What have we talked about? Well, last week we talked about standing in grace. We talked about the peace of God. We talked about the access that we have uh, before the, the Lord because we are in Christ. We have access to God, and so we're grateful for that. And because all of that's true, all that Paul is about to say about being in Christ or still walking in the deadness of our sin um, in Adam is also true. So we need to examine our own hearts and we need to see where uh, we fall today. So you ready to dive into the text? Cool, here we go. Uh, we're gonna just do this in chunks. So let's look at verses 12 through 14 to begin. If you have found your place, you say amen. amen. All right, therefore, we just talked about that. Just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man is Adam, and death through sin, that is the consequence of sin. So death spread uh, to all men, that is all humankind, uh, because all have sinned. It's not just Adam that has sinned. Uh, we don't believe in this, you know, Pelagius thought to where we're inherently good and, you know, we have the ability to not commit sin. Uh, no, it's our inherent nature. We're going to. This is how we were born. And, and so all have sinned. This is what the text says. Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. The law reveals sin, but Paul is making the point here that sin still existed. Here's, here's how we know. Verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. The law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Uh, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So that entire time we see that the consequence of sin that we read about in verse 12 existed um, even before the law was given. Uh, it, it says this even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam may not have been the same sin, but it was sin nonetheless, because sin is broad. We know that. Who was a type, Adam, was a type of the one who was to come. And that's where we see the parallels with Adam and Jesus. So let's start with verses 12 through 14. Let's just unpack what these verses are saying. Number one, we see that through Adam, just reading verse 12, sin entered the world. Now, this does not represent any particular sin. It's saying that we have this inherent bent towards unrighteousness. So think of, think of it this way. Think of our indwelling sin nature, not so much, oh, here's one sin. You better not touch that one. No, it's like, man, we just got it in us. Like there are many ways for us to sin, and we have it in us to do so. It's indwelling sin. And we, we have come to possess that through the initial disobedience that we read about of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Now, if you back up a little bit in Genesis chapter 1, we see that Adam and Eve were tasked by the Lord to be fruitful and to multiply. Here's why this is important. We are created to be cro, uh, procreative. So we're created to be procreative. Here's why this matters in what we're talking about with, with our sin nature. In procreation, there are certain things that we pass on to our kids, our grandkids, so on and so forth. Now, we pass on far more than physical traits. However, uh, he, some of the physical traits that we do pass on are, are things such as this, eye color. Um, I have 
green eyes. And I think all of my kids have green eyes. That's one trait that they have. You pass those things on. Uh, hair color and texture and whether or not it will exist like long term. You pass those types of things on. You pass on freckles. You pass on dimples. You pass on skin tone. You pass on dominant hand. You pass on blood type uh, like A or B or AB or O. Like you pass those things on. Uh, there are things that we pass on. So our sin nature in one sense is passed on from Adam, but it's far deeper than that. We are not just like Adam as descendants of Adam. We are in Adam. We are in sin. So it's not just through natural descent that we've inherited this sin nature. It's through federal headship. I mean, we have this sin nature. Adam's disobedience, Adam's death, they are imputed to our accounts. And so we need to know the, the devastation of sin and the consequence of this sin, according to our text, is sin brings death. It brings about spiritual separation from God. I don't know if you've seen this. Maybe you've seen this in your own heart or maybe you've just seen this in other people's lives. But the separation, the spiritual separation from God manifests itself in, in several ways. One is, man, a lot of times we try to find purpose and meaning and satisfaction in life. And so if we have not Christ, we try to find that through the way we look. Uh, we try to find that through the, the amount of money that we make, through the type of job that we have, the type of uh, reputation that we've created for ourselves by way of, of importance. And these are things that we chase after, but what we need to understand is there are so many people, I mean, droves of people that have all those things. And when they lay their head down at night, they are empty. Why? Because sin brings about spiritual death. And if you don't have the redeeming work of Christ in your life, you can have the world, man. But you will be empty. And it may not appear that way, externally speaking. But what's going on on the inside is this emptiness. We also see that sin brings about uh, death in the physical form. Even though it's not immediate, uh, we see that Adam and Eve had to face the consequence of death, and so death reigned ever since that time. And it's still reigning today. We feel the weight of death. We feel the hurt of death. We feel the pain of death. Physical death is a consequence of sin. And when it comes to those who know not Christ, at the moment of physical death, there's no more opportunity for salvation. And that's where we just need a fire in our belly to share the gospel, man. The good news of Jesus, because there's a lost and broken world that desperately needs Christ. And we're, we're all perishable. Ten out of ten of us in this room will die. And once that death comes, there's no more opportunity for salvation. There's also eternal death. This is the everlasting punishment that the Bible speaks of. It's not popular preaching. A matter of fact, there's a lot of people that would say, if you want to have, you know, a church that grows, don't talk about hell. But you have to, like, close your Bible not to do that. Eternal punishment, and we're Bible people, by the way. We believe in the inerrant word of God. We believe, we believe in the truth of the scriptures. So we believe, we believe that hell's a real place. And eternal punishment is a, is a real thing because sin brings about death, and that's the way we experience 
uh, death if we are not in Christ. Now, verse 13, uh, Paul points out the law. The law technically specifies sinning as a violation against a specific commandment. For example, if you're told not to steal, now you know that's a very specific commandment. And when you steal, you know you've stolen. But Paul is making the point that the debt still remains, even though the law was not given yet at Mount Sinai with Moses, the debt was still there. It's kind of like this. If you are in debt, like you're, you're in financial debt, not moral debt, just financial debt, and you know you're in debt, but you've never looked at the ledger, you've never looked at your online banking, you don't know what's in there, what's not in there, but you know you've been spending. Um, what happens when you first see the ledger or you see the online banking is now it's been revealed to you that you're in debt. You weren't any less in debt beforehand. Does that make sense? So when it comes to our morality, the law is a moral ledger sheet that brings attention to the truth about our moral debt. With or without that ledger, the debt remains. So before the law was given, sin was already in the world because death reigned. Now, original sin can be counted on. Knowing that this has been imputed to us is not foreign to us. Like, we can get there. Here's why. It's empirically verifiable that sin abounds. All you have to do is look around and probably should do this, do this first, look within we can see our own fleshliness our own sinfulness and if that doesn't work man i have three kids you can just watch them <laughs> like it's bad y'all right the the truth being that we man it's empirically verifiable like sin abounds sin is out there we know in our world that something is broken man like, you don't have to look very far to see that the world we live in is broken, and our problem is not a problem that's going to be discovered and highlighted in a deep study of our DNA or genes or chromosomes. Even the best biologists aren't going to pull out the, the original sin component, but we need to know that we have been tainted. We have been contaminated. We have been marred with original sin. That is the problem, and Paul is pointing that out. If you want to know what the problem is with the broken world that we live in, it's sin. And we've inherited this. It's been imputed to us by federal headship. It's been given. And some people will say, well, I don't think that's fair. I tell my kids all the time, fair is a place we go to ride rides. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but not like the county fair where I come from. You don't ride those rides. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, but... I get, I get the sentiment of it's not fair, but here's, here's the reality. It's true. It's true. We are broken and marred by our sin, but it gets good. There's, there's good news following, uh, in the following verses. So look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift uh, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many and the free gift is not like the is not like the result of the one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass uh, brought condemnation so one sin brings about condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. So it gets, it gets really good for us because as we get to the end of verse 14, we see the connection between Adam and Jesus, and now a clear line, distinctive line is drawn. Here's how we know. Adam went to the forbidden tree. Come on, somebody. Jesus went to the old rugged cross. Adam, he reached for the sin, just like we do. He, we have this propensity. Reach for the sin, but Jesus gave the free gift of grace. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought what, church? Justification. Death reigned in Adam, but we are made alive in Jesus. And so all humankind suffered the consequence of death as a result of Adam's sin. But grace was offered to humanity by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Praise God for this. The deadly reality of Adam's sin, it truly is universal. It taints everyone. Everyone experiences it, all humankind. But the life-giving grace of Jesus is not universal. We use proper biblical human hermeneutics to understand this. So as you look at proper biblical hermeneutics, we see uh, the Bible interpreting the Bible. We see that not everyone will call on the name of the Lord to be saved, and it's tragic. Not all will trust in Jesus as Savior. Not all will be justified through faith in Christ alone because many will go their own way. And Romans says that the judgment of God will be poured out on the one that rejects Jesus and lives for self. So that key question comes back to us. Are we in Adam or are we in Christ? By birth, we're already in Adam. That's where we are by birth. But if we place our faith in Christ, we can have new birth. Come on, somebody. And we can have life in Christ. Not all people are justified irrespective of whether they believe or, or not. We must place our faith in Christ. But this text does encourage me because it shows that there are many there are many who will place their faith in Christ. Christ's redeeming work, even though it's not universal, will be incredibly extensive. And we're grateful for that. But again, this should light a fire in us to tell the world about Jesus. To tell them, while there's time, tell them about Jesus. Verses 18 through 21, our last section. If you're ready, we say amen. amen. Last section, therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For uh, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. It reveals that. It brightens that. But where sin increased, even though we see how sinful we are, don't you love this next part? Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I believe Christianity is the greatest explanation for all of the suffering and the misery that we face in our world today. It is the result of us living in a sinful and fallen world. But hear me, the solution is available. The solution is Jesus. And the solution is available. And this solution is not simply a crutch. It's not a prop to make us feel better. It's not just something that's for those that are of dupable personality. No, listen, believing in Christ is, is knowing that the world is broken and we are marred by sin and I contribute to that. But there's hope 
And that hope is found in a name, and that name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And in him, I can be forgiven. In him, I can be pardoned. In him, I can receive grace, which is that which I do not deserve. In him, I can receive mercy, which is not getting what I do deserve. Praise God for this glorious grace. Jesus is the hope of the world, man. He's the hope of the entire world. So we want to love God, love people, and make disciples. We want Apex, North Carolina. We want our entire state, our entire nation, the whole world to hear about Jesus. Why? Because he is our hope. Yes, the law does reveal that we are some sinful people, but come on, somebody. Grace abounds all the more. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Praise God for this grace. And for the believer that's in the room, that is why it's so critical for us to mortify sin. Because even though we are followers of Christ, we can still walk in sinful manners. We know that we can hang on to things that we shouldn't hang on to. And David talks a lot about this in the book of Psalms. And he says that when I walked in my sin that was not confessed to the Lord, I was still trying to walk as if I I was a a man of God. But the reality was I was bruised on the inside. I felt, he, he speaks of this anthropomorphism, which is where you take human terms to try to explain God. He said, I felt God's heavy hand on me. I, I felt like I was dried up as in the, the heat of a summer day. I felt sick. I felt the weight of it. And, and his point is, I had to get to a place where I confessed that sin. And as soon as I confessed, God forgave because God is more anxious to forgive than we often are to confess. But we must kill our sin, as John Owen says, or it'll be killing us. So we've got to die to our sin, man. I don't know what you've got going on in your life right now. I can't pretend to know. That's between you and God. But you know, and God knows, what do you need to surrender to him today? What do you need to kill as far as sin goes in your life today? What do you need to do? What do you need to do? Take the measures that need to be taken. Why? Because God's worth it, man. It's not this religious plot to say, I got to try to do all the best that I can so I can try to earn God. It's not it at all. When we see how glorious and charitable and kind our God has been to us in giving us new birth, giving us an opportunity to know him and to have forgiveness and grace, when we experience that, it's like this, man. I don't want to go to bed empty another night. I want to go to bed knowing that I'm satisfied in Christ, and I don't want to give myself away to this fleshliness, this hedonistic mindset. No, I want to give myself to Jesus, man. And in order to do that, we have to mortify sin, kill sin in our life. Why? So that Christ could be seen in all that we do. And we're going to sing about this grace of God. We're going to sing about this peace of God. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs of all time because of the rich doctrine that it entails. And I would say to you today, if you are here and you have never given your heart and your life to Jesus, I pray that today is that day that you'll call on the name of the Lord to be saved. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but it says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Call on him. We're going to have a baptism service in a couple of weeks, and in that service we can publicly display what God's already done on the inside of your life. Man, call on him today. Ask the Lord to come into your life. You recognize things are broken in the world, yes, but also in you. And the hope is found for you in Jesus. For the believer in the room, again, if you've got some sin going on that you've not dealt with, give it to Jesus. Further, for the believer in the room, I would say as we sing this, may it wash over you in a manner to where you uh, realize that you need the encouragement, you need the motivation to be able to tell your family member, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor about this Jesus, the hope of the world. 
and this brokenness that everyone around us is living in. They're kind of swimming in it, man. And they're struggling to try to find answers. What they need is for you to be the salt and the light and to come alongside of them and tell them about Jesus. Tell them that hope is available. Are you going to walk in guilt? The guilt of Adam, imputed sin? Or are you going to walk in imputed righteousness? Grace that God can freely grant this free gift if you would just call on his name. I'm going to pray for us and let's sing this song and I want you to really focus on the words as it speaks to how gracious and kind God has been to us and the great sacrifice that he has made in sending his son. Father, thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your grace. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity today to worship you in song and to worship you in hearing the word. God, I pray that it does not fall on deaf ears. I pray that we'll receive it, we'll apply it to our lives, and God, that we'll walk out of here with such freedom because we're reminded of your glorious grace. I thank you in advance, Father, for what you're going to do in this moment. And we pray all of these things in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen.